Fellowship College, let's stand together. We get to worship the one true king this evening together. So let's sing this out. There's now a hope that lasts beyond our days. Let's sing together.
Hey, Fellowship Sunday night. Y'all can grab a seat. We're so glad you are here. Welcome. I mistimed that terribly on my part, but uh, my name's Garland. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time, we'd love to get you connected to uh, what, what's going on here and how to get connected to small groups here or discipleship here or just to meet uh, somebody here and get to know somebody. So uh, just real fast, a couple of announcements. The first one is right now, we've got the number one baseball team in America and about to have like the number seven basketball team in America, and that's just fantastic. Uh, it was awesome to beat A&M because I hate them. But um, anyway, it just made me happy. So just a couple of announcements. Um, the first one is this. Uh, we have, if, you, if you're looking for ways to serve uh, next summer, then let me encourage you. We have Sky Ranch here in the foyer. It's not, who served at Sky Ranch before or gone to Sky Ranch? Cool. Um, so it's actually really awesome. It's a, it's a camp. They've got camps all over the South, and you can be able to go, and in Colorado, it's ways for you to go and, and serve with them. They're out in the four. They'd love to speak with you about what it looks like just to minister there over this upcoming summer, and so connect with them tonight. Uh, the second announcement is this. I'm going to let Parker do it for me. Where are you at? Parker, come on up here. Turn that on. I didn't turn it on for you. All right, this is Parker. Give him a hand. What you got? Uh, yeah, my audio, okay. Um, so Luke and I want to come up here and talk to you guys about our group that we started called Jesus in Greek. Um, we are guys who have a heart um, to do ministry in fraternity houses. Um, the, something that we want to do is be able to put Bibles um, in every single room in every fraternity house. Um, and Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Luke Shuffield. Um, you know, when Parker came to me with the idea uh, to put two Bibles in every room, Fraternity, I was like, that's gonna be pretty special. Um, you know, I don't know about the other fraternities, but that's like, that's 56 Bibles in Fidel, um, which is gonna be pretty awesome, thinking about the lasting um, effects of that two, three, 10 years down the road, um, guys we don't even know yet. Um, and then another thing, like, fraternities can be a super dark place uh, spiritually. Um, I've experienced that firsthand. I know Parker has as well. Um, and just, you know, be able to impact guys that, you know, it's, putting Bibles in a dark place. Um, and we wanted y'all college students to be able to give back to that. Um, we wanted to give y'all the opportunity to support that. Um, so yeah, we're gonna have a... And yeah, so right here we have the Venmo for you guys um, to be able to pay for it. I mean, not very expensive to put a Bible um, and it's a lot of life change. Our verse was John 1.1. 1, 1, it talks about um, Jesus being the word. And so us simply putting the word in houses is putting Jesus in houses. And we want y'all to help us with that. Um, if you guys have any questions, my number's on the screen. Uh, we'll have a couple of the guys in the back in the foyer after everything's over. Um, but we want y'all to partner with us to help kind of our mission field um, that we get to do every day. So thank y'all. Yeah, give them a hand. So they came, they came with this idea a few months ago, and they were, they were asking the churches to do it. And then they came back after Christmas break and said, no, we want college students to make this happen. And so uh, I think that's even cooler. And so if you want to support uh, this project that they're doing, you can go to the Venmo right there. They'll be out in the foyer uh, later. And so you can, you, if you have any cash, that's what you want to do, or you can do it through Venmo. Uh, the third announcement is 
this, and uh, I'm not sure what a lot of you have planned this summer. I know you've, we've got different camp options. We have different. We try to put lots of camps out in our foyer for you to figure out ways to serve. Some of you will be going down to the beach for Kaleo. Uh, some of you I know, you will be here. Maybe you're working this summer, or you're just choosing to stay here because you need to have summer classes. You just want to be here. And let me, let me encourage you. Uh, we have something that we do here at Fellowship that we call the 412 Institute. And the 412 Institute is a two-month, uh, basically deep dive into scripture and community. And that's what we're gonna be doing right here. So if you're gonna be in Northwest Arkansas this upcoming summer, we're gonna be posting on our Instagram in the next couple of days the way for you to be able to sign up and you'll see us begin uh, talking about 412 Institute. Uh, the last few years, here's what we studied. We did a Gospels deep dive. Then we did the Letters of Paul deep dive. Last year, we looked at the Torah, did a deep dive on the Torah. Here's what we're gonna do this upcoming summer and we're really excited about it. We want to immerse ourselves in what it looks like to live out following Jesus in the first century world using the book of Acts and the letters of Paul so that then we might apply that in the 21st century world. So we're going to dive into the book of Acts and then we're going to use the New Testament to help color what it must have felt like to be in house churches 2,000 years ago under the Roman Empire trying to live for a different king, the true king, named Jesus, and we want to see what kind of implications that might draw out for us. And so uh, if you're going to be around this summer, or maybe you're going, man, I want to do that, then I would encourage you to, to sign up when you see our sign up, go on our Instagram this week for the 412 Institute. I know many of y'all have partaken in that over the last few years. If you have any questions, talk to one of our staff. With that in mind, we, we envision the fellowship Sunday night service, the college service. We think of this as basically one large family, and with that in mind, Brothers and sisters in Christ, would you stand up, greet each other, say what's up. If you don't know that person, introduce yourself. Say hi, how, nice to meet you, where are you from? We'll, get, we'll continue to sing in just a moment. As we start heading back to our seats, man, I am I'm so excited for this service. Uh, I've been looking forward to this service uh, since since we decided we wanted to, to teach parables this semester. And so um, tonight, uh, you guys can have a seat. Uh, tonight we get to learn about the parable of the lost sons or the parable of the, the prodigal son. So I'm, I'm sure most of you are pretty familiar with that parable if you grew up in church at all. But I'm excited to hear Josh teach this parable and I'm excited to hear um, uh, what he brings this, this evening. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to also um, preface a, a video. So um, I've, I'm also excited about this service because we've been working on a video for uh, a few months and um, through the Creatives Initiative, if you've heard me mention it before, um, two of our students, um, Morgan Walker and Abby Taylor, uh, worked really hard um, on a cool video that, that we'll get to show you guys after the teaching. And so a ton of components that I've been pumped about. And we're gonna introduce a new song to you guys um, here in one second um, that, that's really dear to my heart. Um, but before we do that, 
I wanted to give you some scriptural context for this song. So the song is called My Anchor Holds. And it's a song I wrote about three years ago. Um, but I wanted to give you the text that it's kind of, it's rooted in. Um, it was originally a hymn that I changed up a whole lot. But this is, this is, the, this is the text and it's powerful. So, so hear these words. They're going to be on the screen behind me. So hear these words. It's about how we can have faith in God's promises, okay? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, this un, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. And so as we sing this song, believe the words that our anchor of faith holds in the person of God Almighty. Let's stand together and sing.
have refuge and have security in our salvation, God. That is our anchor, our faith being our anchor. God, it's tied to the rock. God, thank you for Jesus that we can have assurance in our faith. It's in that that we can rest and then we can enjoy this goodness of this life that you've given us. God, it's in your son's precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, hey, I'm, my name is Josh, if we haven't met yet, and as Burton just said a few minutes ago, tonight we are studying uh, a passage that I believe a lot of you are very familiar with. It's a parable about two brothers, and the good news is brothers is something that I know really well. I actually have three brothers. Here they are right here. It's a little blurry now that I'm seeing it on the screen. Sorry about that. But I have one older brother, he's on the right side of the screen, his name is Eric. He's two years older than me. Then I have two younger brothers who are six and eight years younger than me. And so for the majority of my life, it was just me and my older brother, Eric. Uh, and I was the classic younger brother. Uh, I would always try and, and steal the attention from him. If he won a tennis tournament, then I would have to try and win that tennis tournament. Is that, a, is that a humble brag, by the way? I was like 10 there, won a tennis tournament, no big deal. Uh, if he, get this, this is where it was the worst. On his birthday, I would get so mad and so jealous that he was getting all the attention that I would, would beg my parents, please, can I, can I invite my friends over to this birthday party? Can I have the food that I want at this party? And in fact, can I actually get a bunch of presents and can I open them? And then when it's time to, to like blow out the candles and make a wish, can, can I do that as well? I wanted to do whatever it took to get the attention and to steal the spotlight from my older brother as any good younger brother would do. And I'm afraid when we get to this, this parable of the prodigal son, we've done the exact same thing. The prodigal, who's the younger brother, has stolen the spotlight. Whenever we think of this parable, we think of the prodigal. I mean, that's what we've called it in our minds. We've, we've called it the parable of the prodigal son. But what I think we'll see tonight is that it's actually about something much different and much more beautiful. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. We'll be starting in verses, uh, what verse are we starting in? 11, verse 11 uh, tonight. But before we do, I'm gonna pray one more time because I need it. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. I just ask tonight that you would move in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be alive and active that these words wouldn't just be random words on a page, but that would be your words to us, that you would teach us, that you would train us, that you would equip us for everything we need for life and for godliness. So we love you and praise all in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna be in Luke 15 tonight, and, and I do urge you, if this is a parable that you feel very familiar with, as best as you can tonight, Try and view this as if you were reading and seeing these words for the first time. 
trying to forget all the other things that you've learned about this parable and see it with new eyes and hear it with new ears. So here's how the parable goes. Verse 11, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. There's a couple things we need to see here first. We have to see how inheritance worked back then. In ancient Jewish culture, uh, the sons would get the inheritance. Daughters, women, I'm sorry. That's just how it was. The sons got the inheritance. And in fact, the oldest son got a double portion of the inheritance. So the oldest son would get a double portion and all the other sons would get a single portion. So in this scenario, there's two sons. The oldest son gets two thirds of all that the father has. And the younger son gets one third of what the father has. And so what this son is doing is, hey, can I have a third of the inheritance that, that is due to me right now? And it might go over some of y'all's head, this might not make sense to you, but this would have been the biggest slap in the face. I mean, essentially what the, what the prodigal, the younger son is saying is, dad, I love your stuff. I love the wealth you have. I love the property you have. I love what I can get with those things. I want those things. And honestly, it would be better if you were dead. Yeah, whoa, that's kind of a stretch. But how, do, how does an inheritance work? You don't get an inheritance until the father dies. And so what the son is saying is, I want your stuff and I'm done with you. I'd rather that you were dead. And the last thing to point out about this is how tough it would be for the father before he dies to give this inheritance. Here's what I mean. There wasn't banks back then, like savings and checkings account. He couldn't just like tap into his 401k and give him like a lump sum of money, no. All wealth back then was what you owned, whether that was land, whether that was uh, like buildings, whether that was crops or livestock. So what the father had to do to, to give his son, to answer this request, was the father had to go and sell land to those neighbors, sell these, these cattle, these sheep. He had to, it was in a very, very embarrassing thing to do. It was a very public declaration of rebellion that this son was betraying the family name. And so, but the father does it. The father gives him this inheritance, and what does the son do? He spends it on reckless living. It continues. It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is rock bottom. Not only is he a stranger and an exile from his family, from his father, but this wealth that he had that 
He was sure that this was gonna give him this life and satisfaction, that he could finally live it up, not have to obey the rules that his father had always given him. He could finally just do what he wanted to do, and he had the resources to do it. And he lost it all, and it left him in a place that was empty. And something you might not notice here, in Jewish culture, pigs were seen as unclean. Like, you did not go near pigs. You definitely didn't eat them, or else you would have to be, you'd have this, like, season of cleansing, and you'd have to go outside of the city, have be cleansed and be brought back in. And so for him to be hanging out with the pigs not only meant that he was exiled from his family, but that he was exiled from his God and his religion. It was truly rock bottom. And so there in this place, in this pit that he was in, he had this idea. It says, when he came to himself, he said, wait a second, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Don't miss this. This is an incredible picture and example of what true repentance looks like. See, down in the pit, maybe for the first time in his entire life, he realized, he recognized the grace, the compassion, the love that his father had always had, not only for him and his brother, but even the grace and compassion that his father gave towards his hired servants. And in that moment, he said, I would rather be a slave in my father's house than be here, isolated, alone, with nothing. And so that's his plan. He sets back to go, to go home. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And we're going to eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, the son came to this moment of repentance. It's a recognition of your wrong. A recognition of the hurts. A recognition of his own rebellion against God and against his father. And he returns. Repent means to turn, to turn from something towards something. And this is exactly what the prodigal does. He turns away from this, this reckless living and goes back towards the father. And now look, look how the father embraced him. This, was, this would not have been seen in this culture first Men did not run in this culture. They had like these long, these long robes and it was all about, they would just walk places and slowly, it's like this like casual leisure, leisureliness. 
And yet you see the father sees the son, says from a long way off. The father was waiting for him. And he runs. He doesn't care about the, the shame or associated in this culture with running. He goes and he embraces him and kisses him. And the son says, Father, I wanna be one of your hired servants. I've, I've, I've wronged against you. And the father says, he's not having any of it. He tells him to bring, bring his best robe and a ring. He's not just gonna make him a servant. He's gonna restore his sonship. Their relationship is about to be reconciled because of the father's compassion and love. He didn't care about the wrongs. He was just so overjoyed to see his son that was lost, his son that in his eyes was, was dead, was gone, is now back and alive. This is restoration. And so many of us want to end the parable right here. We're like, that's a great, that's a great message. That's a great story. Let's close in prayer. Right? This is how all our Disney movies end. There's just happily ever after. It's, it's over. And if this parable was indeed primarily about the prodigal, then it would have ended here. But it doesn't. But if this parable was, was about the prodigal, I'd probably, I'd look at you guys right now and I would see myself in so many of you. I was the prodigal. I spent half of my college years, freshman and sophomore year, doing whatever I wanted. I was finally free from this dominion of my, of my father's house. I could do what I want. I had the resources, I had the ability to do whatever I wanted. And so I spent my time pursuing sex, drugs, alcohol, parties. I wanted to do all of it. I thought this is where life would be found. I, I was, was thinking like I can finally live the good life. And there's some of you here tonight that need to see this, that need to wake up and recognize that this is the path you're headed on. I don't know when rock bottom is gonna be for you, but if you're spending all your time trying to pursue the next passion and pleasure, rock bottom's gonna come because those things can never give life outside of the Father. And so I would beg you to repent. I would beg you to turn from those things and turn towards God. Sophomore year, I had no idea what life was about. I had tried everything and felt worthless. I felt like there was no purpose in life. And someone told me about Jesus. Someone told me not about this Jesus that I'd grown up with, but about a real relationship with the Son of God. And I turned. And I haven't looked back. And some of you tonight need to turn. But as I said, it's not about the prodigal son, so I'll save that for another time. That was a joke, by the way. Thanks. So what is this parable about? 
Let's look at the context. So if you're already in Luke 15, just go ahead and look up at the first two verses. Come on. Here we go. The first two verses of Luke 15. Here's the context. Jesus is going about preaching and teaching. And these tax collectors and sinners who were, who were seen as the outcasts in those days, they come up to him. They come up to Jesus and are, are, are listening, and Jesus is hanging out with them. He's actually even eating meals with them. And the Pharisees and scribes, they see this, and they're like, who is this guy that would eat with these tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know that they're the outcasts? And so Jesus then, in response to this comment, in response to the Pharisees' disgust over the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15. The first parable is of this shepherd that has a hundred sheep. And he says, when one gets lost, he leaves the 99 to go find that one sheep. And when he finds it, he brings it back and there's a great celebration because what was lost is now found. And then the next parable is about this woman who has 10 valuable coins. And when she loses one coin, she spends all day diligently searching for this coin. And when she finds it, she throws this huge celebration because what was once lost is now found. And now this third parable is the parable of the prodigal son, or as we're gonna call it for the rest of tonight, the two lost sons. Because what we see here in the context is that there were two different groups of people. There were the tax collectors and the, and the sinners. Then there's the Pharisees and the scribes. So when he's talking about this prodigal son, this third parable is about this lost son. And when he comes back, when the son comes back, the father throws this huge celebration because what was once lost is now found. What was once dead is now alive. But here's where the parable picks up. We have the second son, the second lost son. Jesus continues. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry, and he refused to come in. Continues, his father came out and entreated him, which means he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So what's going on here? This older son refuses to acknowledge and celebrate the return of, his, of the younger son, his, his younger brother. He refuses to go inside. 
And what's his reasoning behind this? He says, I've been working for you for years. When this younger son of yours, when my younger brother was out spending the inheritance that you gave him on reckless living with prostitutes, when he was betraying our family name out in the city, I was here. I never left. I was working. I was building up your family name. I was creating more wealth, more prosperity. I was faithful. I never betrayed you. I never turned my back on you like him. So why does he get a party? Why does he get the fattened calf? Why are you celebrating? Where's my party? Where's my celebration? The older brother had completely based his relationship with the father on his merits. He says, I've worked for this. I deserve better. Look how much I've done. And just like the younger son, just like the prodigal, we see that he cared more about the father's possessions than he did about the father himself. And we learn that the older son is just as lost as the younger son. But listen to the father's response. This is how the parable ends. He says, the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. Notice what the father doesn't say. He doesn't rebuke the older son for saying that he's always been faithful, that he's done everything he asks. He doesn't go and, and quote Romans 3, 23 and say, well, you, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He doesn't even mention that. All he tells them is that we have to celebrate. This is what we have to do because my son that was lost is now found. My son that was dead is now alive. The father is revealing his character. He says, this has to happen because this is, this is who I am. I rejoice when the lost are found, just like the shepherd, just like the woman who lost the coin. He rejoices. And this parable doesn't have this tight little bow that we can wrap on it. It ends right here. It ends on a cliffhanger. It ends with a decision. The older brother, are you going to come in and celebrate? This is what we do in our family. When the lost is found, we celebrate. Are you gonna join in and celebrate? And so in this parable, we see some contrasts, comparisons and contrasts with these two brothers. The prodigal, as we know, was separated from the father by his own 
wickedness and rebelliousness, his own passions and desires. There's a selfishness. He cared more about the father's possessions than a relationship with the father, yet he repented. And in that repentance, he was reconciled to the father. Now look at the older brother. He was separated from the father as well, but it wasn't by bad deeds. It was by his own good deeds. Do you see that? He was separated from the father by his own righteousness. He cared more about the father's possessions than a relationship just like the younger brother. But he's out there. He refused to celebrate and be reconciled with the father. And as the party's going on, he is stuck. He is outside the party. And so with every parable, we want to ask this question. For some of you, this might be familiar. So what does this say about Jesus and his kingdom? What does this parable say about Jesus and his kingdom? First, it says that the lost are found. The kingdom of heaven is one where God the king desires for all to be found. He does not want to see anyone perish, but that all would receive forgiveness. That all would repent and be reconciled. If he was here today, there's nobody in this room that he would want to see separated. The kingdom of heaven is one where the lost are found. The kingdom of heaven is sacrificial and costly. The kingdom of heaven is sacrificial and costly. What do I mean by this? You see, when the prodigal son returned home, when the prodigal came back home, it was not this really easy, like free ride that he had. For him, it was free, but it cost the father so much. You see, in the, in the beginning of the parable, when it says that the father had given, he had given the prodigal son this, his property, this inheritance, Jesus uses this interesting word for property. He uses the word bios, or we'd call, say, just say bios. Think Biology. He uses the word that means life. When the prodigal says, hey, I want, I want you dead so that I can have my inheritance now, it says that the father gave him his life. The father gave much more than just some material things, but a part of him went with the prodigal son. And something that I noticed too is that it cost the older brother. Returning to sonship meant that now this prodigal son who had already wasted, already wasted this inheritance was now reconciled and restored. He got the robe and the ring and the party, but it also meant 
that he was now back into the inheritance. And so who does that inheritance come from but the older brother? And a lot of times I think when we think of grace, I'm about to, I'm about to say something that might shock a few of you. So please don't leave. Grace is not free. Did y'all hear that? I'll say it again. Grace is not free. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Here's what I mean. Although grace is a free gift, right? That's what we say, grace is a free gift. It is free in the sense that you don't have to earn it. The older brother tried to earn grace. He tried to earn the gift. He tried to earn the inheritance. So in that sense, grace is free. It is a, is a gift that you don't have to work for, that is freely given But it's not, it wasn't free to God. It cost Jesus his life. And if you choose to accept grace, it will cost you your life. To be a follower of Christ means to turn and surrender everything to the king. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. Bonhoeffer says, the grace of God is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Do you see this? Grace is not cheap. In order for the father to forgive and reconcile to his prodigal son meant that he had to give up his life. He had to give up his possessions. He had to give over his, some relationships and this sense of pride. There's a lot of shame that comes in, in selling your possessions to your neighbors in order that your son can just go off in rebellion, and yet he did it out of love. He willingly sacrificed out of compassion for his son. So you can't earn it, but it costs a lot. 
although I know there are some prodigals in this room, what I'm way more concerned about tonight is how many older brothers there are. How many people that have grown up in the Bible Belt, grown up in Christian homes, who have filled their lives with good and righteous things, yet are completely separate from God. You've filled your life going to church every Sunday, reading your Bible every day, serving as much as possible, in as many small groups as you can count, leading a cell group, doing all these things that, that are good and righteous, but you're doing it in order to earn your salvation. You're doing it in order that you can get the approval of God and others. And maybe even when you see people that are living reckless lives have these true heart transformations and return to the Lord, there may even be a little bit of bitterness and jealousy. That guy gets the same, same grace I get. She lived like that for years and now gets the same reward that I do. And so for the older brothers in the room, I'm pleading with you, repent. Repent from your own self-righteousness. Repent from this idea that you can earn it. Repent from this idea that you should get this pat on the back for all that you've done. That God owes you something. Repent from that and turn and be reconciled to the Father. The Father goes and chases down the prodigal, yes. But when he sees the older brother not celebrating, he also leaves the party to come and find him. He pleads with him. And he's pleading with you tonight. Repent, be reconciled, and join in on this celebration because the kingdom of heaven is one that is full of grace and joy. Take this from someone who has tried to find joy in everything possible. I've spent my life trying to find joy and satisfaction in everything, you, anything you can name. And yet this is the only place where it's found. Psalm 16 says, in your presence, in the presence of God, the Father, the presence of the Father, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is an invitation the story ends on a cliffhanger. It's inviting you into the celebration. And so tonight, we're gonna spend a few minutes watching this video that Burton was talking about. And I'm pleading with you 
do some heart searching. Where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your rest? Have you been reconciled to the Father? Whether it's your good deeds or your bad deeds, are you separate from God? Do you need to repent from self-righteousness? So let's take the next few minutes and just reflect. celebrate your restoration.
separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
nothing can stand against. Maybe, maybe we just sit in that for a second. God, nothing can stand against your holy name, the power of your name, the beauty of your name. God, your name is wonderful. God, hear our praises to you this evening. May they glorify your name. God, as we lift them up, give you joy as it gives us joy, God. The praises of the one true king. To you and to you alone we bend the knee. The rightful heir, God. We love you. Father, thank you for your word, that it remains true, that it is unchanging. It's to that that we can, that we can find truth. Thank you for Jesus. Fellowship, we love you guys. Hope you have a great week of worship. If you need prayer or have any anything that you want to reach out to, come find me, Garland, Elise, Josh. We'd love to talk with you guys. Love to pray with you. You have a great night. See you next week.